Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I want to preach you from the subject that we are all witnesses. And that song was written out of Acts chapter 2 which is where we're going to be today. Last week we were at Acts 1, and we've really been going through all of the Gospels. The Gospels are the Acts of Jesus, and uh, the, the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, but it's also been written that it, should be, that it also could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 2 is where the Holy Spirit descends on uh, his people. It's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit arrived in the middle of a festival, If you remember a couple weeks ago, I I spoke to you about the four Jewish festivals that really were just pictures all of Jesus, the death, the burial, and the resurrections. For thousands of years, they were celebrating these festivals, but Jesus came as the fulfillment, what they were really waiting for, all four festivals leading up to Jesus. There's seven festivals total, and the fifth festival is the festival of Pentecost, and Pentecost means 50, and it's it means 50, it's just simply 50 days after the festival of the first fruits. If you remember the first fruits festival, it's what Pastor even just read that verse about. It's when you would take from the ground just one sheaf of, of wheat and you would wave it before the Lord. And the day that they, they celebrated the festival of the first fruits is the day that Jesus resurrected the first fruits of the ground, not death but life waved before the Lord and we receive his grace. And so that festival is the first fruits. 50 days later is the fulfillment. It's connected to that festival, the fulfillment where it's bringing the full harvest before God and blessing, uh, asking his blessing over the full harvest. It's a thanking him for the full harvest. And it also is where they celebrated receiving the laws from God on Mount Sinai. And it's a picture that because of the law that God has given, he brought his blessings to the people that keep the law. And so, so it was on this day, on Pentecost, where the believers are gathered together and the Holy Spirit descends in their midst on another festival and fulfills the true purpose for that festival. Some of this is going to make sense, and I'm going to kind of go through it and, and explain it a little bit more fully. But, um, but it all happens right here in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read this together. And, uh, and today is Pentecost Sunday, you know. It's the actual Sunday that lines up with the date of the chapter that we're reading and the song that we just sang and the title of my message, which is also the title of the song. It all works together. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. And this is one of the most action-packed um, verses and, and, and chapters in the whole Bible. I'm not going to be able to read the whole chapter, although I thought about it, but uh, I'm going to read a lot of it, and I, I'd encourage you to read the rest today. Acts chapter 2, and, and the Bible says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 120 disciples were gathered together. This is 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven, but if you remember, Jesus said, I want you to go into Jerusalem and wait until you receive the, the Holy Spirit, which will give you power, and you will be my witnesses. That's the promise of Jesus. So for 10 days, they don't know when he's coming, but they're waiting expectantly in prayer for the promise of Jesus to be fulfilled. 10 days of nonstop prayer. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly... 
A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So fire came and split all over the room that they were sitting and came to rest on 120 individuals. Fire that rested on people and yet they were not burned. Look, we've seen this fire before. When Moses was being called by God, there was a bush that was on fire and yet not consumed by the fire. And a voice came out of the fire and called him. That's the Holy Spirit of God. It called Moses. It's calling them, the disciples, and it's called you. That fire is the same fire that went before the people of Israel when they were in the middle of the desert at night. The Bible says a pillar of fire began to lead them and protect them. When they dedicated the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the Bible says fire came from heaven, entered into the tabernacle, and rested on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, yet nothing was consumed. That fire now no longer rests on the Ark of the Covenant. It is lost, and Indiana Jones hasn't even found it. But that fire still exists, and it has come down. It splits into different tongues and rests on the individuals, the Christians. That fire is on you and in you. You are the new Ark of the Covenant. You don't have to travel to Egypt to find it. You is it. You're the new ark. And the Holy Spirit of God rests in you. This is the receiving moment of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to know it wasn't just for them. It's for you. Come on, it's for us. They they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separate and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Not some of them, not a few of them, not only the chosen ones or the good ones or the ones with a certain gift. The Bible says all. Say all. All. Tell your neighbor that includes you. Some of you didn't say that to your neighbor. They need to be included. Tell your other neighbor that includes you. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just for them, it's for us. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's a heavenly language that the Holy Spirit gave them. It's a direct line to heaven. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Again, it was the festival of Pentecost, and they actually said that this was the biggest festival, bigger even than the Passover, because it was good weather. So people traveled from all over the world to come to the temple on this day at this time. And so God uh, tell you, God's a good marketer. You know, he waits till the biggest crowd is gathered and he does the most incredible display. You didn't like that. I like that. I think it's funny. God waits for the most opportune moments. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, because let me tell you, the Holy Spirit has a sound. Church has a sound. That's why I'm glad we premiered a new song today because there's something about a new sound that, that, is connected to a new move of the Holy Spirit. Come on, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to give me more than that. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to get. I know you want to go to Newport. It was just named the top destination in the whole world for the month of July. Did you know that? We're blessed, baby. But after this, when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And utterly amazed, they asked. Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Galileans were not famous for their speech. They had bad accents. We don't know anything about that. They, 
And they were difficult to understand, right? And so they're saying, these people can barely speak their own language correctly, and now I'm hearing them speak my language? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. I pray that all those that come to church here and around the world today hear Christians declaring the wonders of God, every tribe, every tongue. May the word of God, the acts of God be lifted up all over this world. Even today as I speak in this room, people are hearing it translated through our translation ministry into Spanish. That's one language right now. I'm praying we get up to three, four, five different languages being translated in a Sunday service so that all those may hear. You know, this was a supernatural moment that the Holy Spirit spoke so that all languages could be heard. It was, a, it was an incredible moment and supernatural. And you've actually, I've actually heard of this happening before in the church, even modern day. But can I say this? The point of this is God saying the gospel and the church is for all. Day one, minute one, it's for all. And so they were amazed and they were perplexed. And they asked one another, what, what's happening what does this mean? But some, however, made fun of them and said, they got, they got too much wine. They have had too much wine. One translation says, they're on that new wine. There's something, there's something different. Then Peter stood up with the other 11. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. And this is where Peter begins to preach a powerful sermon. And, and you should read it. He quotes the prophet Joel. He, he quotes the prophet King David. And, and, and as he goes through it, he's talking about Jesus. And, and here in verse 31, he quotes what David has to say about Jesus. Uh, he said, David, seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah and he prophesied that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Now God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. He was standing there with the other 11, and he's saying, I saw it happen. I saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Verse 38, and they asked, they asked Peter, what, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just for the special 12. It wasn't just for the 120. It was for everyone that chooses to call on the name of the Lord. Repent, be baptized, and receive the gift. It's a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. This isn't just for the chosen few. It's for all. For God so loved the world. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized that day and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 salvations and baptisms. Let's pray. God, we pray right now that you come. Your presence is here. We believe that the same Holy Spirit that descended on that day is in this room today and it's on our lives, God. I pray we Receive even a fresh outpouring of your spirit that it enables awakening to happen in our culture and in our lives, God. And, and I thank you, God, that we are a church that is filled with your presence and with your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to be witnesses to who you are. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. Come on, all God's people said, 
Amen. Amen. This story is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. Before he ascended into heaven, he actually told the disciples, it's better for you that I go because what you will receive will enable you to do greater works than I've ever done. It's pretty amazing for Jesus to say, it's even better if I leave because if I leave, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and there will be thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, billions of mini-Christs not just one Christ. And then he says, even greater works than these will you do. And that sounds impossible because of the incredible works that Jesus did. But here in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls, we see them speak one word and all the people from all different nations hear it translated in their own tongue. That's a different and greater work than even Jesus did. It's amazing that Jesus, when Jesus left this earth, he did not leave us in stagnation. He did not leave us hopeless. He said, I'm going to send the Spirit. You're going to see some pretty powerful things. You're going to see incredible things happen in your life, in your time, in your church, in your family, and the church says amen. And this is Jesus' promise. And so the disciples are gathering together, and they're waiting to become a witness to this work. And let me tell you, that's what Christianity is. Christianity is not being a great preacher or knowing all the right answers or having perfect theology. And let me tell you this, Christianity is not you just trying really hard and doing all the work. I've heard people say to me, I I love Jesus, but I could never become a Christian because I'm not that good. Well, you don't know what Christianity is. It exists because you're not that good. It's not about you doing good works You can't. It's not about you doing a work at all. It's a celebration that Jesus has already done the greatest work on the cross on your behalf. And he continues to do powerful works through his spirit into the lives of his people and his church. So what does that mean? It simply means this. Christianity, being a Christian, is simply being a witness to his works. All you and I have to do, all we have to do as a community is continually tell of the works that God has done and is doing in our lives and in our midst. That's what being a Christ follower is all about. Telling the story of Jesus Christ in as many ways to as many people with a relevant tongue that they will understand being a witness to his works. And, and this all begins with this outpouring of the Holy Spirit in response to their prayer. Every Wednesday night, our church uh, for this summer is going to be gathering together for prayer and for worship. I, I hope that you come out at 7. We had a lot of people come out at 7 o'clock this time. It was one hour. It was powerful. It was awesome. Let me tell you, a church that prays is a church that sees miracles. Miracles are a response to the request. We are going to gather every Wednesday and request the Lord to be in our lives and in our midst. I hope that you can come out, but that's who we're going to be. We're going to pray because we want to see the Holy Spirit. And this is what they're doing. They're praying, and then all of a sudden, there's a mighty sound of a rushing wind. Fire appears and begins to get on other people. And I wonder what their first reaction was. I wonder if they tried to blow it out because your friend's hair's on fire. Or that's like a powerful prayer. You all call preaching fire. This is literal fire. And, and, it's, and it's on their lives, but it's not the fire that's powerful. It's a representation that something supernatural is happening. 
and it's a physical representation of a supernatural happening on the inside. That fire comes into the room. There's a mighty sound. There's a heavenly roar that enters into this place because God is saying, I'm showing up. And whenever God shows up, he shows up in a powerful and mighty way because that's his nature. It's his nature, and he's showing his nature to his people in this powerful action. But what's interesting about this is these Jewish people would have recognized this mighty roar. They would have recognized the happenings of this because they've seen this before in their history. See, they've, they've been through a waiting period before. They've been through a period where they were waiting for God to come and make a connection with them before. See, this is, this is really a picture of how God works with his people. He, he did it once, and I'm going to explain it. He did it in the Old Testament, and he does it in the New Testament. And, 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 and if you need a word picture to kind of understand what's happening here, it's really like a, um, like a wedding, uh, the process of a wedding. I'll tell you, we, uh, we have so many weddings happen in our church. Every weekend is a wedding. We're just going to grow our own church with weddings and babies. Even if no one gets saved, we've got enough weddings, we've got enough babies coming. I'm just kidding. People are going to get saved. But... You know, these weddings are so powerful, people are getting saved at weddings. It's, it's, it's awesome. Um, and, and, and today, it's uh, me and my wife, it's our seventh year anniversary today. And I got to tell you guys something. A miracle happened today. She forgot and I remembered. Isn't that, a, isn't that a miracle amongst men? So I hope I get some brownie points for that. And this is the picture. Jesus, he's the one that arrives. The Bible calls him the groom. He's the bridegroom. He's the one that, that shows up. He's arrived, and he, he chooses his bride. The church is the bride of Christ. All through the New Testament, the church is shown as a picture of the bride of Christ waiting for the return of their groom. Jesus is the groom, and he makes this promise. I am going to send another to you. It's going to enable you. It's the Holy Spirit that makes you the bride of Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no church. The church is the bride, but without the Holy Spirit, there is no church. There's just a bunch of people doing their best to gather. But that, that's like, that's a country club. You could join a golf course and get that. The Holy Spirit is what separates us from every other social institution on planet earth. It brings power, might, change, and so, so Jesus, Jesus gives the ring to the church, the promise that the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to turn uh, the church into the bride of Christ. And so then there's the engagement period, the, the waiting period, the 10 days. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he turns just a gathering of people into a beautiful bride of Jesus Christ. Now you might say, well, we don't seem to be that beautiful. The church has a lot of mistakes. It's a lot of failures. People aren't perfect. But let me tell you, the Bible says uh, for husbands to love their wives like Christ loves the church. When he sees his bride coming down the aisle, Jesus loves his bride. And you can point out all, the, all its flaws, but Jesus is looking past that. He loves his church. He loves his people. He loves you. He's for you. He knows your flaws, but he chose you anyway. Is this making sense of what's happening here? And when the Holy Spirit comes, boom, the, 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 the church becomes the bride of Christ. And here's the marriage, which marriage is just a covenant. This is the new covenant. No longer the old covenant of law. It's a new covenant of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness, of love. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. This is the new covenant 
of the Holy Spirit. This is the new agreement of the Holy Spirit. But see, this is happening uh, for the church. It's, we now live in a new age, the age of the Holy Spirit and the age of grace. The age of grace. What is God doing? He's doing a new work. Because see, this had happened before, you know. In the, in the time when the Israelites left Egypt, they came to Mount Sinai. And there was a covenant that was made at Mount Sinai where God gathered all the people before Mount Sinai and, 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 and he showed up on the top of this mountain. And read it in Exodus chapter 20. The same signs are there. There's a mighty sound from heaven. There's a violent shaking. There's thunder. There's lightning. And the Bible says that he came on the top of the mountain in fire. So here it is. It's the same thing that happened in Acts 2 here in Exodus 20. And then God begins to speak out and the covenant he delivers to his people. First, he says, will you accept my covenant? And they say yes without even knowing what it is because that's what faith is. It's not saying, do I agree with this? Does my emotions agree with this? Does my life back this up? Will I be able to do this? It's saying, Lord, whatever you say, I will do. You are God. I am not. The faith is a principle. It's not just an agreement. It's saying, first, we agree. And God said, okay, seeing that we agree, here's my covenant. And he begins to say, I'm going to bless you, but number one, you will have no other gods before me. And he goes down the line and he begins to give what we know is the 10 commandments, the 10 words, the 10 laws of God. And it's so powerful and his voice is so mighty that the people get freaked out. They can't stand it anymore. It's too overwhelming, the presence of God, for people to stand within. And so they say to Moses, Moses, will you just go to talk to God for us? They actually say, we need a mediator between God and man. They understood that God's too holy and we're too broken for there to be a connection. There has to be someone to stand in the gap. See, Moses was the first mediator. Jesus is the final mediator. He's the one that stands in the gap for all people, over all mankind, for all times. And he connects God to his people. They say, Moses, we can't handle this. You go. So all they had heard is the first few commandments. The number one being, you will have no other gods before me. Well, Moses goes up to the mountain of the Lord and he's there for 40 days and there's thunder and there's smoke and God is speaking to Moses and there's Joshua halfway up the mountain hearing all that's happening in in preparation to become the next leader. And all of a sudden, God gives Moses the 10 commandments that he made out of his own hand. And Moses goes to bring it back to the people. Here's our covenant. Here's our law. And when he gets closer, Joshua says, it sounds like there's a battle going on. But Moses says, it doesn't sound like victory or defeat. It sounds like singing. That's not a battle. That's something else. When they came over the ridge they had found in those 40 days in between, they broke the only law that they heard from God. You will have no other gods before me. And there was a golden calf lifted high above them, and they were worshiping this golden calf, calf, saying, this is the golden calf that brought us out of Egypt. You know what's amazing? They only had 10 laws, and they only had 40 days, and they still broke the law. It just goes to show that we could not measure up. Like right from the beginning, we could not measure up from the law. They, these people actually walked through a sea, an ocean, And that calf was not there. And 50 days later, they're like, it was that guy. It was that guy, the thing that we just saw Aaron make with his own hands. It was that guy that brought us through. It wasn't. It was the mighty hand of God that brought you through. 
And it's amazing that they began to worship what they made out of their own hands, the golden calf. And and make no mistake, idolatry is not an ancient sin. It's a modern sin. Anything that you worship out of your own hands, this is what I did. This is my hustle. This is what I made. When you begin to, maybe you don't worship a golden calf. You just worship your golden car. I'm telling you, you got to be careful that you don't begin to put any other God before him. But Moses saw that we're people and we're fickle and we can't, we can't live up to our side of the covenant. And the Bible says that Moses threw the Ten Commandments on the ground and they broke. And, and it was it's such a picture of, of before Moses even was able to deliver the law, we had broken the law. And it shattered on the ground. And, and he comes to the people and he says, are you, guys, are you guys for real? I was just gone for 40 days. Like you saw. They could see the mountain, the fire on the mountain. And they're like, ah, we don't know. We we don't know what that guy went. So let's find another God. And then Aaron, he blames the people. He says, look, they just gave me all the gold. I put it in the fire and the golden calf popped out. Have you ever heard your kids say that? I don't know what happened. It it just happened. I was a youth pastor for a million years. And they they would, all the time they would say, we don't know what happened. It just happened. It was like, well, were you alone at night? Was it 1 a.m.? Was no one around? Was it really dark? And you started taking your clothes off. Nothing just happened. There were things that precipitated this. Oh, sorry, you don't want to go there? Okay. Is it too convicting that that your actions lead to places? Okay, fine. All right. It just happened. I don't know how it happened. No, Aaron, you know how it happened. You painstakingly fashioned this golden calf. The Bible actually says that he fashioned it like, like, with, like he used tools to fashion it. This dude's like Leonardo over here. He's like fashioning this sculpture. And then he goes to Moses. I don't know. I, I didn't work on it day and night. I, I'm always looking for excuses. And, um, and Moses, Moses says, well, there, there, there's got to be justice now. Because every time you broke God's law, there had to be blood paid. And so he draws a line in the sand and he says, if you're with God, you come on this side. And the the tribe of Levites came. They stood by Moses. And Moses says, now there has to be blood because we broke the covenant. And so the tribe of Levite went throughout the camp. And they had to kill all those that offended God by taking a part of this this idolatry worship. And 3,000 people were killed in one day when the law came down. The law that was supposed to bless because it was broken required blood and ended up bringing pain to the people. And that's why Jesus had to come. And he says, I'm not here to get rid of the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. You're the ones that broke the law. I'm here to fulfill the law and now give you grace the next time you break the law. So that it's not your blood that will be required any longer. Jesus shed his blood so that now you can live in a grace era, a mercy era. And so, and so that was the old covenant. And Moses went back up on the mountain, and he had to make his own Ten Commandments. And God wrote on him again, and he brought them down to the people. That was the covenant of the law. But now we, we see with the beginning of the church, God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with my people. It's not going to be law and blood. It's going to be grace and mercy. It's not going to be worshiping idolatry. It's going to be worshiping me. It's not going to be lists of rules that you have to keep, but I'm going to put my spirit in you, and he's going to be a divine counselor. He's going to be a divine guidance. He's going to give you feelings 
feelings or emotions. He's going to give you checks. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. Don't go there. It's too late. That's the wrong person. I said not again. He's going to give you checks. And you might not be able to flip to Amos and find the exact phrase, do not go to that club at night. But you will hear the Holy Spirit say, do not go to that club at night. He will help you. You say, well, where is that in the law? We're not under law. We've got something better. We've got counselors. We've got wisdom. We've got mercy and grace for our time of need. We're in a new marriage. We're under a new covenant. We're under the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God for all that he has done. Can you just thank God for the Holy Spirit that he's given us? He empowers us. He empowers us. You cannot live the Christian life without the power, the strength, the wisdom, the help of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is given to you that you might be able to be convicted, not not when you fall off the cliff. You might be able to be convicted on the first step down the wrong path. Back it up. And let's go the right direction now. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. You don't have to keep 622 man-made laws. You get to live your life freely, lightly, and in relationship with someone that is here to help. We see that the whole city runs at this mighty sound that's happening. They would have even recognized, we've heard that sound before. We've seen that fire before. We know about the law before. We've seen God move in this way before. What is happening? And they all ran to the place where the disciples were. Let me tell you, when the Holy Spirit comes, it causes the city to run and investigate what is happening with those people. What is happening at that place. You know, I, I, I don't know about you, but when I look at our culture, or our generation, sometimes a spirit of fear tries to come on me for my kids. What are they going to do? And I'll talk to my dad about it. And that's why I'm, I'm grateful for spiritual fathers. And, and, and he reminds me saying, it, it may look bad, but when the Holy Spirit comes, in one moment, he begins to shift society, culture, generations. When the Holy Spirit comes and revival comes, he can change cities. He can change families. He can change cultures. We need the Holy Spirit more than systems, more than the way we do things. We need the Holy Spirit to come on the church. We need passionate people, heart convicted people, people that are looking for the presence of God. We don't want to do church dry and in a desert. We want the calling of Ezekiel, dry bones, come alive again. May skin come over the bones. May he breathe your presence in. An army rising up from the desert, an army of Jesus Christ. I'm praying for a church that is passionate, forthright, has conviction, has boldness, is unafraid, knows how to pray, has sees healings, loves worship. Jesus, bring awakening through us. Bring awakening through us, God. We want the city to investigate what is happening at that church. May they hear a different sound. May they hear a new sound in the city of Providence. You know, they just came out with the, with the new research polls that say, you know, what are the most post-Christian cities and and Providence is tied again for number four but Providence New Bedford is tied again for number four eight out of the top ten post-Christian post-church post-God cities are in New England they're in New England but I'm believing believing 
that God can bring another awakening in New England. I'm believing he can do it again and we can be witnesses to what he's doing and we can stand in boldness and declare what he's doing. The people's reaction was one of two. One, they just made fun of it. They mocked it. They said, these people are drunk. The Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit because it's a similar vibe. These people have low inhibitions. These people are happy. There's something about, they look drunk and they dismiss them because they couldn't understand what was happening intellectually. And so they mock it. But the other people were amazed and they wondered what is happening here. Let me tell you, that's the same reaction to the gospel and to the Holy Spirit today. Some will dismiss it saying, you're wasting your time with that. Oh, you still believe in those fairy tales. Oh, you blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, you know, you're, you're with those people. You guys are crazy. But other people will say, I don't understand it all, but it seems to be something real. There's a change in you that I've never seen before. Something's happening. Will you tell me what's going on? And I love Peter. He stands up and he just says, you can make fun, but we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m., but let me tell you what's really going on. We're happy for a reason. We're filled with love for a reason. We got the joy of the Holy Ghost for a reason. And we know what I love, what happens to us when the Holy Spirit comes on us. It makes us stand up with boldness. You know, the last time people accused Peter of being a Galilean, he denied Jesus. The last time they said, you seem to be a Galilean, Aren't you with him? He says, I don't even know the man. But here it is 50 days later to the day. And now Peter's equipped with something else. The forgiveness of the cross and the presence of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. And a boldness rises up in Peter. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit changes your character. The Holy Spirit changes the inner you. It can change your mind. It can change your past. It can change even your very nature. You say, well, I'm nervous, or I'm, I'm shy, or I'm, I'm, I'm not like you. It, it, it's not about you. When the Holy Spirit gets on you, he gives you power from on high, power to overcome addiction, power to get out of these lifestyles, power to become more, power to speak boldly. And sometimes it will happen in one moment. Sometimes it will happen in one year. Sometimes it takes 10 years, but the power of the the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Holy Spirit is you will receive a supernatural power to change. And here's a changed man. Peter stands up and begins to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus to the very people who crucified Jesus. And he admonishes them saying, this Jesus whom you crucified. There were people in that crowd who crucified Jesus. And he says it to their face. It was you that made this mistake. But yet grace is open and allowable even for those of you that physically put him on the cross. Talk about a new boldness. Talk about a new, a new approach from Peter. And you know what I, I think we can take from this is Peter doesn't pre present out of theology, and he, he doesn't present out of, out of knowing everything. He just presents out of his personal experience with Jesus. He gets the Holy Spirit, and he says, let me tell you about the man that I know. And then he says, he rose from the grave, and I'm a witness to it. Now, you and I haven't seen Jesus physically rise from the grave, but you have seen Jesus resurrect some things in your life. You have seen Jesus do some powerful works in your family. Maybe you're not where you want to be, but you are definitely not where Jesus found you. He has healed you. He has convicted you. He has changed you. He has brought you a long way. 
And so when the Holy Spirit gets on you, it empowers you to stand like Peter and declare as a witness the works of Jesus Christ in your life and in this church. You know, this Sunday is one year since God um, rescued our pastor, my father's life. This is the Sunday last year, the weekend, where he was in a motorcycle accident, if you don't know, and he broke his neck, and we weren't even sure if he was ever going to be able to walk again. We weren't sure if he was even at first going to live through this thing, and then we didn't know if he'd be paralyzed, and, and we, were so, we were filled with you know, fear, but at the same time, we had a belief that he's a good God. And it was on this weekend that I was flying home from Israel. I had no Wi-Fi, no internet connection, 14 hours of not hearing a word. All I knew was my, my dad broke his neck and was in the hospital. And I had to write the Sunday sermon for Father's Day. And I just prayed, God, please do not make me preach on Father's Day after losing my father. That can't happen. Lord, help. And, and I had to write this sermon but I said, no matter what, I'm going to start my sermon, no matter what I land to, with this phrase, God is good. God is good. No matter what, God is good. And when we landed, when we landed, we heard miracle after miracle, and the church rose up, and the church began to pray, and the world, the church around the world began to pray. And let me tell you, miracle after miracle, good report after good report, shocking thing after shocking thing, and now we tell the testimony because we overcome by the blood, the sacrifice of the Lamb, and the word of God's work. This is what he's done. We need to tell what God's done in our lives, in our church, relentlessly. You say, well, I always talk about my testimony. People don't want to hear it anymore. There's a faith that comes on you when you begin to tell what God has done in you. I pray a new faith comes on this church. I pray a new faith comes on you as we make a declaration that we're going to stand in witness to his works. And I'm looking forward to next Father's Day. I'm looking forward to next week more than I've almost looked forward to any church service because I don't have to preach on Father's Day. The Father gets to preach on Father's Day. Thank God. It's a miracle. It's a miracle in our midst when he stands up here and preaches. It's an answer to our prayer. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And we stand in witness saying he still hears us. He still moves. He still answers our prayer. Come on, can you just stand to your feet? Just thank God right now. Come on, lift up a praise to God. Just thank him. Come on, continue lifting it up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank him for what he's done in your life. Thank him for what he's going to do. Come on, the best is yet to come for you. And all God calls for us to do is stand in witness to his works. This is what Jesus has done. And you know, the Bible says that at the end of this sermon that Peter preached, 3,000 people were saved and they publicly made their witness when they were baptized on the same day. Under the old covenant of law, 3,000 people died. But under the new covenant of grace, 3,000 people were saved, forgiven, restored, and brought into eternal life. Come on, that's the age that we're living in. We're living in the age of grace. That's the spirit we're living under. We're living under a spirit of life. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.